0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. Today, our guest will be Mike Greenblatt. Now, Mike is a longtime Goldmine author and editor. He has his own columns um, online at goldminemag.com. But he also wrote, to me, the definitive book on Woodstock, Back to Yasker's Farm. And he wrote it on the 50th anniversary, but it's still out there penguin books you could still get it at your bookstore you could also get it at the goldmine shop at goldminemag.com and even though it was written on the 50th anniversary it's still relevant of course because mike lived it he was there and he went through the whole experience it's a beautiful book it's hardcover filled with a lot of photographs and details about when the bands actually went on and uh, for this new issue that we put out, August-September issue of Goldmine, that's also in Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, you can pick that up. Uh, Mike wrote the 10 best and worst things about Woodstock, 1969. Uh, so I want to welcome Mike. Mike, welcome. You've been on the podcast before. Welcome back.
0: Thank you. I always love doing your podcast. Uh, you, as a... As, um unlike other podcasters, are actually a real friend of mine.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Now, one of the things I want to talk about first is, is your book. Now, like I said, even though it was written for the 50th anniversary, it's still relevant. People can pick it up and enjoy it very much. They could, After they buy it, they can look at it every August on the anniversary. And if they're there, they can bring back a lot of memories. Now, what I want to talk about is your article, The 10 Best and Worst Things About Woodstock 69. Uh, First off, how would you, what is your opinion? uh, Speak about the difference of the original event and these offshoots, uh, offshoot Woodstock events. To me, there's only one event, and that was in 69. Um, I didn't go to the other two. I'm not sure why they even put them on. Um, Some think it was a cash cow, whatever, but one didn't go well at all. And one went okay, but what's your opinion on them?
0: There's only one Woodstock. And that was the one in 1969. It was a cosmic accident, despite the fact that there was not enough water, not enough food, not enough bathrooms. The weather was horrible. A monsoon ripped through us on Sunday. There was not one instance of reported violence. Uh, We were the so-called peace and love generation and we proved it over those four days. Um, Whereas opposed to Woodstock 99, there's two feature film documentaries about that horrible, horrible event.
1: It was like the other side of the coin.
0: Yeah, it was indeed the flip side of the coin, no doubt about it. Um, there were no rapes, there was no violence at Woodstock in '69. Uh, the man next to you was your brother, and the woman next to you, whether she was topless or not, was your sister. And we all shared a similar political philosophy. And it was almost uh too good to be true. Um, it in fact it got me into uh a career of writing about music, because when I came home, all I did was try to tell people exactly what I had been through. I couldn't believe it. Um, And the fact that I was tripping for the Sunday portion uh, just made it into a big, it was like a phantasmagoria, a psychedelic uh, pinwheel that I just stood there and I just couldn't believe what was going on around me. Um, I'm glad I took the brown ass.
1: Well, that's, those are the two things you mentioned in the best of category, which was the love and peace and togetherness, which you're here to announce that it was not a myth. It really no. was amazing that all these people gathered. And even though a few people died, but also, as you put it, people were born uh, like any other day in any other city or town in America, uh, the people who died, wasn't it of uh, exhaustion or I can't remember exactly. Uh, maybe well, one people, one know. person,
0: one person got run over by a tractor. Oof. Uh They were in their sleeping bags. The tractor went right over them. Another person overdosed. Right. And I forget how the third person died, but you know, in cities of that size, people die and people are born, and and Woodstock was was no different.
1: Right, and like you said, no violence, which is amazing. Um, Which of course, Altamont would prove the the opposite and bring the 60s peace and love generation kind of to a halt, but uh, let's not get sidetracked. You also said the brown asset was a very good thing for you. Now, some probably would disagree. And there was even an announcement to warn you off of buying that
0: yeah that became the punchline of my book tour when they said from the stage don't take the brown acid i said oh shit, i just took it (laughs) Uh, when i did my book tour in 2019 before the world stopped i I, in fact i can't looking back i can't believe i had such a great year in 2019 talking about the book and, and uh doing almost stand up uh at these various venues about the book and then everything stopped in 2020 um i'm glad i got it in and i'm glad i got to uh travel around the tri-state area to talk to people about the book and um it's it's still selling in the sacred land itself you went back there i went back there a number of times first was to interview uh the curator of the new bethel woods museum uh and performing center for the arts, right on the exact same plot of land that Woodstock took place. And amazingly enough, when I went back a second time to go in the author's tent and sell my book and sign autographs and pose for pictures, the same exact monsoon that hit us in 1969, revisited the same locale on the same day, and we had to be evacuated I'll never forget it. I couldn't believe that monsoon came back to haunt us 50 years later. Did you have the mud too? There was mud. There was confusion. I was carrying uh, boxes of books uh, in a pouring rain, trying to find some way out of there. I I couldn't believe the same storm hit us in the same location.
1: This time you weren't on
0: the brown (laughs) assets. Only this time, only this time I, I was... I was almost 70 instead of being 18. So it was a little different.
1: Well, you know, it is possible, right? That maybe you got the good batch of the acid and uh, there were bad batches. Uh, I don't know much about uh, acid or hallucinogenics, but uh, maybe that was possible. And the lady who gave it to you, you said was, didn't she give you bread?
0: Yeah, she was a very nice older older woman.
1: um, And
0: she gave me a loaf of bread. And, uh, and a pill. And I devoured the bread because I was starving by that time. And I ha- had the pill. And sometimes I think if I didn't take the brown acid, I would have been really bumming out at the weather and the situation. I might have left. Mm. Uh, but because I was so tripping and so heavily high that it all became psychedelic, a taboo right in front of me that mm. I couldn't believe what I was, I was, I was in the middle of it. And I couldn't drive home if I wanted to anyway. At that and the point, right. plus we didn't know where the car
1: was. <laughs> yeah, that that would not be good while you were um, on acid trying to find the car. Um, now, what? How did that come out? Come up. The lady gave you bread and said, "By the way, you want some acid too?" <laughs> I don't
0: remember. Uh, All I remember is she gave me the bread and she'd go, Here, take this too.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) I said, Okay. I had done, we had done acid numerous times in the late 60s, uh, many times on the way to New York City to go to the Fillmore East. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget uh, tripping while seeing Pink Floyd at the Fillmore East. And, uh, I remember when they did the song called uh, Careful With That Axe, Eugene, from the album Umaguma, and uh, it's 10 minutes of mellifluous organ, and then the scream. And when they shouted that scream out, it freaked me out so much, I got up and I ran out of the film and I ran down 2nd Avenue, hyperventilating and sweating. And I made my way into, into this club. And there was this crazy black guy on the bandstand playing three saxophones at once. And I stood there looking at him until they kicked me out. Well, that was my introduction to jazz. And it turned out to be Rasan Roland Kirk, who was playing these crazy instruments. I'll never forget it. And then I went went back to my seat and finished the Pink Floyd show. But the point is, <laughs> we had done... Acid
1: numerous times, uh, and it was always so wonderful. So it wasn't a surprise. No. um Now, you, best of you, you mentioned favorite acts Sly Stone, the band, mm-hmm. 10 years after Johnny Winter, and maybe talk each, about each one and why they were so good. Let's start off with Sly Stone, who is quite a personality in his own right, but man, can that cat play? What what great music he's put out throughout his career. Um, I know he's kind of a recluse now, right? But
0: I was uh, it was like three
1: or three or four in
0: the morning. And we had been up a really long time. I was fading fast.
1: And um, sly resurrected you
0: sly resurrected me he was I had never ever seen such heavy funk with the horns and the crazy lead guitarist and, and sly on the organ, telling us to shout out the word higher at the top of our lungs and flash the peace sign. I know it sounds corny, but it but at the time uh, it was profound. And indeed we shouted out the word higher, we danced. And I'll never forget, I had to go to the bathroom and I saw an empty bottle and I, I, I peed in this empty bottle and I thought, ooh, I'm taking a, taking a leak on the sly, so to speak. And i remember telling that to a few folks and we were all hysterical of course we were all stone so i guess it seemed more funny than it was but the point is i had never heard such music i had gone to see sly and the family stone a couple of weeks earlier at the cafe wa or one of those small greenwich village nightclubs and jimmy hendrix came up and jammed with them on hire yeah. uh and that was the only time i ever got to see jimmy is when he jammed with sly and the family stone a couple of weeks before Woodstock. Um, because we couldn't stay for Jimmy at Woodstock. We just had to leave. It it was too much. We were tired and hungry and thirsty and cold and wet and very uncomfortable. And we tried so hard to stay for Jimmy, but Jimmy didn't play until like 10 o'clock the next morning to a sea of garbage. Most of the people had left already. Uh, And, and
1: we just had to leave, but Yes. So if I had to take a time machine back, I think I'd pick start with the who and just chill out from there. <laughs> well, after slime the family stone, I fell asleep. Yeah, I know. You had to conk out. I, I fell asleep.
0: Even the who couldn't wake me. <laughs> I was dead dead asleep during the Who's set and then came Jefferson Airplane and they came on at like seven in the morning. I also slept right through Jefferson Airplane but I did talk to members of Jefferson Airplane and um, I do have some stories about what happened during the the Who's set with Abby Hoffman jumping up on the stage um and
1: towns really kick him in the
0: ass or what townsend hit him with the butt of his guitar head and i, I in my research i realized that that wasn't the first time that townsend got violent with somebody that, that got on the stage there's a story at uh, the Fillmore. Uh, a fire broke out and the uh the the, the fire attendant ran down the aisle to, to get on stage and tell everybody that they had to evacuate and townsend hit him on the head with his guitar
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully not too hard, yeah, hopefully uh, not too hard, but 10 years ago, well, those three bands yeah. on
0: Sunday night, 10 years after the band and Johnny Winter back to back to back might've been the three greatest bands in a row ever, because 10 years after we had, we had been to the Fillmore to see them numerous times. We mm. were well aware that Alvin Lee was the fastest guitarist in the world. And they played this Woodchopper's Ball by Woody Herman big band, uh, but they played it rock and uh, Help Me, this great blues. Of course, I'm going home, which they stretched out to unimaginable lengths. And they were thrilling, absolutely thrilling at Woodstock. And my friend, um, my friend wanted to leave. He he was he was straight the whole weekend. He didn't so much as smoke a joint, and he was bumming out. But we had a, an agreement that we wouldn't leave until both of us wanted to leave. So he was a great sport. I wasn't going to leave during 10 years after or the band boy were they great their harmonies. And the fact that they all kept switching instruments. Levon would leave the drum set and play the mandolin Uh, Danko would leave his bass and go play the drums. The other guy would leave his guitar and go play the org. I mean, they kept switching instruments and they sounded so exquisitely like the record that it was so real and organic, and I'll never forget how great it was. And then Johnny Winter just blew us all away. Johnny Winter was so great, pounding the blues into submission. His brother, Edgar, wailing on the saxophone. It was so good that even Neil didn't wanna leave during Johnny Winter, but then they introduced blood, sweat, and tears. And we we thought we were going to see the Al Cooper version of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. We we didn't realize that they had kicked him out of his own band. Yeah. And there was this this husky Canadian dude singing that stupid spinning wheel song. And we looked at each other and we said, All right, we're out of here. That we had we had to leave.
1: But wait, wait, now there's there's an added story to that. You actually got to like that singer who replaced Al cooper <laughs> you became a fan you just didn't like the spinning wheel song anyway. i
0: became a fan a few decades later when you assigned me to interview uh david clayton thomas yep he, he's a good blues singer he he sings
1: some good blues yeah he does and he had an album out that was uh it, i was, love his voice you know back with the blood sweat and tears and uh but, you know, I, I appreciate both versions of those bands. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is Santana. Didn't you go get a hot dog or something during Santana? Something- yeah, uh,
0: Santana came on early afternoon the day before Saturday. It was a beautiful day. Uh, but I had just seen Santana at the uh, at the Schaefer Bowl on the site of the, the 64 World's Fair in Flushing Meadows. They, they opened for Buddy Miles and a band called Pacific Gas and Electric, and I loved them. But because of the fact that I had just seen them, I told my friend Neil, I- I'm going to go get a hot dog. And at that time, the, the hot dog stands still had hot dogs. They would, they would run out famously a couple of hours later, but uh, it was unbelievable. I was listening to them the whole time, though. And boy, did they that that drum solo that 19-year-old Michael Shreve took during yeah. Soul Sacrifice? It has to go down in history. And I've since interviewed him about it. And Carlos was nice enough to interview with me for this book. He was tripping on Mescaline during the uh the set, but man, they were the know, everyone knows they 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 they
1: claimed their stardom from that set. Yeah. yeah. Um but that I did. I did wander around. Yeah, where who are you buying these hot dogs from? It's not like it was Nathan's Famous, right? I mean, it was. I don't
0: know. You know, they they had these stands, and then they ran out of hot dogs. And I said, "Oh, well, where can I go to get another hot dog?" And they said, "That's just it, sir. There's no food left."
1: They didn't tell you to go to the hog farm, which was close well, by with food. That's the funny thing. The hog farm was feeding
0: people right. on long lines. I did not know anything about the hog farm. You know, when I learned about the hog farm, a year later when I saw the movie, that's when I first learned there was You're a hog farm. Pissed off. <laughs> I, mean, I wish I, I wish I knew about the hog farm. The yeah. only, the only people that, the only guy that fed me was this three hundred pound Hell's Angels guy, who had this, this factory, big can of cold raviolis. Mm. And normally you'd think disgusting, but he would go into this can and dole out spoonfuls of raviolios and I waited on line and it was so good that I went back at the end of the line and got another taste. But no, I didn't know about the the hog farm at the time.
1: Some of that stuff would be so foreign to the kids today. I mean, a big can of raviolios, they probably don't (laughs) even know what raviolios are. It was canned spaghetti. Yes, I know. Boy or D. Speaking of which, what was the bathroom situation like? You you said you used a bottle once. Where where would you go? Just anywhere?
0: Well, thank God I didn't have to go too often that weekend. I I, I didn't eat, so I didn't have to do anything. Uh, the bathrooms were atrocious. They, they were just atrocious. Uh, they were they they spilled over, and and you didn't want to even go near them. Uh, and I didn't have to. So thank God for small favors. Uh I didn't have to use the bathrooms. Um
1: they were like those porto potties back then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really? They were nasty. They were nasty. That you know, there was a lot of mistakes made by the folks that put the festival on. And uh that's why even worse,
1: even worse mistakes years later when they some of them tried to put it on again in ninety-nine and so on.
0: Yeah, but on this one, the mistakes that were made did not translate into violence which yes. still amazes me to this day
1: no other generation i think would have handled that well the lateness waiting around i don't think any other generation would have handled that well this no is not
0: at all how about
1: how about 8 hours before the, the music we were told that the music <laughs>
0: was going to start at 9 a.m. it didn't start at 9 a.m nor 10 11 12 nor one two three or four it was <laughs> five o'clock eight hours of waiting around and then we would have loved anybody that got on stage but richie havens wound up playing one of the most iconic sets
1: yeah uh, we loved richie havens now you said the most cathartic experience was the fish cheer, right yeah
0: uh it was saturday afternoon uh we were very high uh And it was in between bands and country Joe walked out, who country Joe wrote the forward to my book. He was very nice. And um, country Joe came out with a borrowed guitar and he was playing a few country songs and everybody totally ignored him. Totally ignored him. It was like a big family picnic going on and he was trying to play. And then, so he walked off the stage and, and we ignored him so much. We didn't even realize he walked off the stage, but he came back. And that's when he asked us to give him an F. And we shouted out, F. (laughs) Give me a U. (laughs) And we shouted out U. Give me a C. And we shouted out C. Give me a K. And we shouted out K. And he said, what's that spell? And that's when we shouted out that word. And it was cathartic. And it was hilarious. And it represented pure and extreme freedom. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, however many were there at that time, were shouting out that one word. And he asked us seven times what that word was. And we answered him seven times. It was the greatest moment of Woodstock. And you'd think something so silly could have such profound importance. But there was just something about shouting out that word in public with others also shouting out that word that I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. Plus, there was so much going on at the time, um, kind of like what's going on today. There was so much frustration and anger, and you know, building up that um, it was cathartic. I'm sure
0: we all went to Woodstock thinking we were going to be drafted, yeah, and sent to fight an illegal and immoral war halfway around the globe. We suffered under the yoke of that responsibility because the draft was still in our lives so it was very intense politics
1: was a major subplot of of woodstock yeah And, and i don't think anyone understood the domino theory of the war i mean let alone uh you know some some educated uh older people You know didn't understand it either um everyday common people um that worked nine to five you know so it was like what are we fighting for um you know that was that was the i'm sure i didn't live through it i was alive but that certainly wasn't a a worry of mine
0: but you were like
1: two how old were
0: you in 1969 four uh
1: i was four at that time
0: yeah you were four no you
1: didn't have to worry. So i was more trained. worried about my tonka train you know i could care less about uh, <laughs> what was going on in the world around me sometimes i wish i was still like that <laughs> 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 you <really> cared about <laughs> uh, well, set by joan baez
0: crystallized the problem Oh, because uh, all- friday night she finished the show and her husband david harris was in prison for uh avoiding the draft.
1: Mm.
0: And I mean, that's that's really something to be in prison for. And, and she played that great protest song. Um, I thought I heard Joe Hill last night. And of course, Joe Hill is a martyr for union, for the union. They, they 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 killed him. And uh it's 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 a great song. It's it's a great liberal union song. And when she finished, it was almost like we were all in tears. Uh, we had stayed up so late to listen to her and her voice was so beautiful. And there she was barefoot and singing just with an acoustic guitar about Joe Hill and uh, and some other songs. Um, yeah, that's when I met the crying girl and we, we solved all the world's problems
1: at five o'clock in the morning and I fell in <laughs> love with her. I never got her name. Well, it was that connection, right? You'll never forget, right? She lives in this book, so there she you lives go. In the book, and then the next day, I
0: forgot about her, and I met the laughing girl in the lake. And <laughs> it's funny because usually, sure she wasn't the same girl. No, it was a, it was a different. <laughs> <girl>. <laughs> usually, when uh, when you're eighteen and you meet a girl for the first time oh, and you share good. a connection, you're usually not both naked right uh but we were and we were in the lake and uh i told her about our wonderful spot that we we had i mean we were like right there right in front of the
1: stage so one of you stood there while the other ventured out you always, yeah we
0: never left we never both left our spot
1: and we always found the spot coming back
0: because our neighbors to the left of us erected a flag with a big peace sign on it. So I could always see that flag and that peace sign. So I knew where Neil was. The only time that we got in trouble was after the monsoon came and Neil left to find a phone booth to call our moms Mm. and tell them we were all right because the TV news had declared it a disaster area and everybody was... they didn't realize how much fun we were having. They thought the whole thing was a nightmare. And so did my mother, I'm sure. And um, that's when the the acid kicked in at the end of Joe Cocker's set and it got really dark and the winds whipped up and they made an announcement, they're gonna have to stop the music and the music stopped, dead, cold, stopped for three hours. Mm. There was no music and it poured. I mean, really poured. And all our stuff was still back at the car. I didn't have any clothing for the for the or no blankets, no tent, no, no anything, shorts and a t-shirt that I had been wearing since Thursday. And man, it was pouring and Neil wasn't there. And I was, I started to panic. And it wasn't fun anymore. And it was part of the experience. And good thing I was on the brown acid. Uh, because it made it into an adventure
1: it was like a it was like one of those survival movies yeah uh, you didn't this was obviously one of the worst parts and you you talk about it you didn't do any mud races though there were people doing mud races
0: hell no I wasn't interested in covering myself with mud the uh the the, the great spot in front of the stage had turned into a lake of mud uh, and I, I couldn't sit back down so I had to just stand there the longest time and and look at the people that were around me and what (laughs) they were doing and
1: how they coped and i just stood there Hmm. interesting now good thing those (laughs) good thing you weren't having uh, a bad time when some of the acts you didn't appreciate uh, came on Uh, you said that you mostly disappointed in tim harding uh tim Harden, because you really liked his music, but he disappointed you because he was, I guess he was tripping himself, but he, he was in a bad no, he he, um, <clears throat> he was on heroin.
0: Yeah. Uh, he was one of the first ones that was supposed to go on stage, but refused. There were a lot of artists who, who who were too scared to go on stage to open the concert because they knew we were yelling for music. Eight hours of waiting. They didn't want to be the first one out there. Tim Hardin, I was really looking forward to going to go see, because I knew his compositions, uh, Reason to Believe, The Lady Came from Baltimore, It's uh, so many great songs, and he had a little jazz uh, tilt to his sound, and although he was folk, he just, he was more than a folk artist, He he was a jazz pop artist, too, his voice was incredible, but he just fell apart, on stage he was he was so high on heroin he couldn't perform at all and i'm like what's with this guy
1: and I almost, I almost feel bad for the incredible string band you call them four mopes <laughs> well i <laughs> i don't know
0: why those four mopes were considered <laughs> for about five minutes in the 60s They're, they were always awful uh they were pretentious and and just just plain awful. Uh, I didn't like them going there, uh, and 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 they certainly didn't perform well. Uh, and then the the other one that was bad was the Grateful Dead. They yeah. were terrible.
1: That's 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 too bad. Um, <laughs> but you didn't like Quill either, right? You didn't oh, like- Quill
0: was the, the Quill sounded like a bunch of guys banging on pots.
1: Yeah, you said that. <laughs>
0: great hey you can't like everybody
1: (laughs) no you can't especially at a festival of that size but you survived it i mean i you know one of my dreams would be to see jimmy i mean you could see it on the film but to actually be there and watch hendrix or the who perform now of course santana would have been a, a big one for me um but I understand you guys had to leave. You were so pleased to find the car. Um, I don't know how you found it, but... Uh... That's a good point. We
0: found it because uh, they erected Christmas lights mm. in the woods. And we followed the Christmas lights. And I'll never forget the feeling of feeling safe and and a, a, a camaraderie with my neighbors flashing the peace sign to everybody as we were leaving. Uh, there was no, there was no fear. And you know, it was, it was, uh, it was black. Maybe it must've been about three o'clock in the morning when we left, the sun hadn't risen yet. We didn't know where we were walking, but we felt calm and, and a sense of peace came over us. And when we found the car, it was like the finding of the Holy Grail because mm. there was all our stuff. And we changed into dry clothes. And we ate the soggy sandwiches that my mother had made for us. And we drank from the canteen. And I just had to roll one more joint uh, after all that. And 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 Neil was, was a great sport. And I got behind the wheel and we started to get out of there. And then I realized I'm still tripping. I can't drive home yet. So we,
1: we stopped. We, oh, we pulled okay. off the road. Oh, Neil didn't know how to drive a stick? Was that the...
0: Oh. Yeah, it was a. It was Neil was too young to drive. Oh, he didn't have no. a license. <laughs> yeah, I was I was 18. Yeah. Neil was like 16. Yeah, and so he couldn't drive. So we finally pulled off to the side of the road. We slept the next morning. We got up. I dropped him off at the house. I went home, and one of, my favorite part of the book is the very end of the book. My mother opens the door and sees me, and she clutches me to her bosom and she cries and cries and cries um i said no ma I had a great time
1: that's great then she stopped crying i hope yeah, yeah <laughs> <is>. <laughs> well that's a great story man was the traffic n- wasn't nearly as bad going back i'm sure right as oh we- yeah
0: we you know that that one lane highway 17b was stopped dead the day before the festival yeah. we went up on a thursday the concert started on a Friday. And at one point, the uh, it stopped for so long that we turned the car off and we played a game of Monopoly on the roof of the car. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we ever finished the game, but under a blazing hot sun, we mm-hmm. played Monopoly on the roof of the car and then we just kept going.
1: Well, I don't think there was any other way there at the time. There is no
0: other way there, even today. There's mm. still no other way into that Bethelwood Center for the Arts, which is a great place to see music because it's on hollowed ground, uh, and it's a beautiful museum and concert venue, which is right on Yasker's Farm. And the funny thing is, because I recently reviewed uh, Steely Dan there, that you look at that hill. It's not as big as I had thought. Our our car was just right up the hill. All I had to do was walk that that hill and I'd find it. But at the time, it just seemed so immense because of the profound nature of the experience. We didn't know what we were going to get into. We didn't know what we were heading for when we went there. Uh, We weren't even going to go. We were going to go see Led Zeppelin in Asbury Park that weekend. But the constant advertising on WNEW-FM with all these bands on the same
1: stage at the same weekend, we had to go. Uh, And the ticket you bought meant nothing because it was free.
0: (laughs) $17.50 for all three days at a head shop Uh in in Bloomfield, New Jersey called The Last Straw. And when we realized we didn't have to, there was no, who do we give our tickets to? We're looking around.
1: (laughs) Nobody to get my to Away. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Mike, so much for sharing again. And uh, if people, if listeners, you want to get the Woodstock book back to Yasker's farm? You can get it at Goldmine. Just go to shop.goldmine.mag.com, click on books, and you'll find it. You can also find it under the Woodstock section. Well, Mike, thank you so much. And welcome. welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you here again next year. Same time, same place. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Thank you, Mike Greenblatt. Okay, Goldmine listeners, you can go to shop.goldminemag.com and pick up Mike's book, Back to Yasker's Farm. It's right there. It's affordable. It's a beautiful book, hardback, and you could get it in our Woodstock section in our shop. You can also get the edition that Mike's Best and Worst of Woodstock is in, and that's the August-September 2022 print edition of Goldmine, which you can go and get in the store at Barnes & Noble and Books-A-Million, or you can go to shop.goldminemag.com and get it right there. In fact, we have a collector's edition, Uh, Of that issue, it's a bundle, which includes an alternate cover, a beautiful slipcase that the magazine is in, and also you got two prints, photography prints, that are suitable for hanging from the famed photographer, Henry Diltz. So those are numbered and exclusive from Henry, right to us, and they would make They're beautiful prints of the event. Uh, One is the crowd in John Sebastian. The other one is the Who performing live. Um, The Sebastian is in color, the Who in black and white. And, of course, since they're Henry Diltz for photos, they're they're quite special. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Have a good Woodstock anniversary, and we'll catch you next time on the Goldmine Podcast.